What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mike, and welcome to episode 44, the Hank Aaron episode, RIP, of the Mike and Dave Podcast. I don't have a bunch of introductory material to hit you with other than, you know, it might actually be a shorter episode than usual. You're welcome to those of you for whom that's good news. I apologize to those of you for whom that's bad news. Uh, Hopefully there's more of the latter than the former. This is like the same speech that I give my classes. Like, hey guys, we might get out early. Except like... (laughs) You know, the opposite, where they're like, yes, and I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, But we're going to talk about the NBA, you know, one of my favorites, because we're about 25-ish games into the season, which is more than a quarter and less than a third of the season. So we're going to talk about some of the things that have stood out to us, and then we're going to do the hot seat and the fun fact. Uh, Before any of that, though, We are going to get into off the top like we do every episode. If you've been keeping track, you know it is Dave's turn to bring the prompt, so I will kick it over to him. What's up, everybody? This is Dave, and yes, it is my time to shine. This episode, off the top, I've got a good one for you. So this is also NBA-related, so it kind of all ties together a little bit. Scoring meaningless buckets after the game has already been decided. We have seen a couple of instances of this in the past week. We saw Gobert do it to his former team against the Jazz, where he uh, got a free two points with just a few seconds left in the game and didn't affect the outcome at all. And probably the one that got bigger headlines was Zion doing that crazy like 360 windmill um, against the Suns. Uh, in garbage time when the Pelicans already won the game. Um, And of course there was a big outcry and the bench is cleared and all that kind of stuff. Um, You also had like Chris Paul and Jose Alvarado with their extremely weird rivalry that I'm definitely here for. Um, So this topic, I'm curious to know what is your opinion on scoring after the game has already been decided? Do you think it's, you know, it's unsportsmanlike? Do you think, you need to play until the whistle, um, and if you're not playing defense, then I'm going to go ahead and get mine. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know your thoughts on on this topic. So, I don't like it. It's it's the unwritten rule, you know. You, it's just a matter of respect. Now, this is like the last twenty seconds, right? Um, if we're talking a minute left in the game, and I'm up by like twenty then I'm not going to, like, break out the dribble moves necessarily. You know, I'm not going to, like, try my best to get to the rim. But, you know, when the shot clock is winding down, I'm going to shoot, and I'm going to try to make it. But, like, it's just a matter of respecting your opponents, just having some sportsmanship. Now, I will allow for special exceptions in the cases of rivalries, uh, of which there really aren't that many in the NBA. And that's a a separate conversation there. But, like, if Michigan is playing Ohio State in college basketball, hey, man, I'm all for it. I don't care. Uh, Do it. But often, usually, it just comes off as kind of, like, classless. Uh, It's like the game is over. You know it. Your opponents know it. They're not really trying to stop you. You know, why are you trying to make it look worse? I, unless there's like some bigger element to it, you know, like like in the case of a rivalry, I'm really not for it. I just think it's a bad look. Okay, I respect that. So you would, if you were Gobert or Zion, you would not have tried to score in those games. You would have just um, caught the ball and just dribbled out the clock, and that would have been that. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't see a reason to do anything other, or for them to do it otherwise. Gotcha. So this is going to be one of the few times where I think I actually disagree with you. Uh, Typically, we're usually on the same page about most things. Um, I'm all for like going ahead and getting your points. Um, 
I think that if you have already lost the game, um, too bad. Like, you should have played better in the first place. So don't get your feelings hurt if somebody's like. To me, it's all it's disrespectful if like you're just standing around like, oh, the game's over, and you just leave somebody wide open. Like, why not increase your point differential? Why not, you know, get your stats up a little bit? In the case of Zion. Why not have a chance to put on a show for the fans? Like, Zion's finally healthy. Everybody, like, all the Pelicans fans, what, why are they paying for their tickets to the game? It's to hopefully see Zion put on a show and hopefully dunk, because that's what everybody cares about. Um, And there he goes and probably throws down the best dunk we'll see in the NBA all season, Um, especially one, like, on a fast break or something. Like, that's definitely going to be up there. Um, and make all the highlights. And that would have been a really cool moment for the fans. So I think that like, sure, maybe if you're the other team, you don't like it. But if you're the fans, especially if you're at home, okay, I'll actually amend my statement. I think if you're at home, then like, if you want to go for something crazy like that, then cool. Um, because you want to do it for the fans. But in like Go Bear situation against your former team, and you just like put up a little dunk or layup or something, that's just kind of like, all right, bud. But if you're trying to go for something cool or whatever to get the fans excited and the fans are already like, oh, we won the game or whatever, let's get them more hype. Like, I'm all for that because at the end of the day, like, you already lost. Like, whatever. Um, it's kind of like if you kick a field goal at the end of the game in football and the game's already decided. Like, I don't even, like, maybe this is just me being a savage, but I really don't care. Like, if you don't want me to score, then 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 try to stop me. Like, um, if you can't stop me, then too bad. We're professionals. You know, it's your job to stop me. So that's just where I'm at. But I was curious to see what your thoughts were because this has been a pretty divisive topic um, in the the past couple weeks, uh, and I refrained from asking you about it until now so we could put it on the podcast. So, so I will say, like, you did say something there that I do agree with, and this is kind of. Like, I'm kind of mixed in this sense. I do agree that, like, take football. Like, I don't remember who said this the first time, but I agree with the statement. Like, if you don't want someone dancing in your end zone, don't let them get there. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, it's a matter of, like, I don't really feel for, like, if the Saints... Okay, you know, let's even make it the other way around, whatever. Uh if the Falcons are down 24 nothing to the Saints ugh, uh, and the Saints pile on another one in the last minute, like, I don't really feel bad for Falcons. Like, you should have stopped them, you know? So, like, I agree with you there. Like, you should stop them. It, you should have some dignity. Like, you should have enough pride in yourself to, like, really step up and make a stop there. However, I think that can all, like, that can simultaneously exist with my feeling like, okay, maybe they don't have a right to be that upset necessarily that someone's still scoring, but maybe the other team should still like not score. So like in the Gobert situation, I think like, should the other team, should the Jazz have stopped him? Yeah. You know, like play better, win the game. But if you're Gobert, you still don't have to do it. Yeah. Well, it's all, it's also like a matter of effort to me. Like, okay, so you're up 10, with 13 seconds left or whatever, you're not going to win the game. That doesn't mean that you should just stand around and like stop trying, in my opinion. Okay, so you're you're just going to accept defeat then after you've worked so hard for this, you know, entire uh, like 46 minutes or 48 minutes or whatever it is. Like, no, in my opinion, you just go out there and you keep playing hard until the final whistle. And that's it. That's what you're getting paid to do. Uh, so that's just kind of, that's just how I view it. But I can, I mean, I can also see like, of course it would suck if you're the losing team and then Zion just goes out and uh, dunks, like does some crazy dunk and like gets the fans all riled up and you're already pissed off because you lost and all these guys are competitive and everything. I, I get that. But at, at a certain point, it's like, eh, it's not to disrespect the competition. It's to you know, make the fans excited. Um, and it's to like make a statement, 
Like it's for instance, like when, when guys do bat flips after they hit home runs in baseball, like a lot of guys don't like it because it's like the unwritten rules. You're not supposed to celebrate when you hit a home run. You're supposed to just hit the home run and just trot around the bases and score because it's your job. But like, I don't see any reason for not flipping your bat because it's like, all right, you're excited. You want to pump up your team. It's not disrespecting the other team. It's just getting your own team fired up and like firing yourself up. Um, and the other team is just like choosing to take that as like taking, take offense to that. It's not like, like if you're like pointing to the, to the other team's dugout and like beating your chest and like cussing them out or whatever, then that's obviously one thing. But like Zion, like if Zion does that crazy dunk and then like walks over to the sun's bench and like stares him down and like flexes on him or whatever, then like that's different than just going up and dunking and just like playing up to the crowd. Um, but that that's just my take. No, I can agree there. Like, I think intent matters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, I don't know. I, you take like an NFL game. If uh, like you're trying to run the clock down, right? You have a lead. You're not kneeling yet. You're just calling conservative running plays. If one of them breaks loose, I don't see anything wrong with a guy running, heck, 60 yards into the end zone. If you break free, go for it, you know, pile it on. But you don't need to like throw up the peace sign or whatever on the way there. I guess like that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah. But yeah, it makes sense. But so let us know what, what you guys think on our, uh, on our social Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave pod, because I mean, Dave, like you said, this is divisive. So we love to hear differing opinions on it. Yeah, for sure. Maybe we can put up a poll of like, would you still score or would you like just let the, the time trickle out. Um, so yeah, look out for that. Um, and that'll wrap up, uh, this segment of off the top. When we come back, we're going to each rank our top three early season NBA surprises to this point. All right, we're back and we are going to talk about three things each that have surprised us or that are like major takeaways so far in the NBA season. Again, we're about 25 ish games at the time of recording this, which is Tuesday, December 13th. So, Dave, give me your number three biggest surprise or takeaway from the NBA season so far. All right. Uh, Just to clarify one thing, I don't think that these are necessarily the three biggest uh, takeaways, but to me it's more of just like, these are things that really stood out that were interesting to me that are also surprising. Um, because I think if I just did the, my top three surprises, it would all be like very cookie cutter and like top headline stuff. And that's just not all fun. And I wanted to kind of dig a little bit deeper with some of these. So just with that caveat, uh, number three is Scotty Barnes. Um, if you've listened to some of our NBA episodes before, you know that both of us are really big Scotty Barnes fans, of course. I'm a Florida State fan, and so therefore, I already liked him a lot. Uh, we were both really high on him coming into the NBA. Obviously, he won Rookie of the Year last year. A very tight uh, contest there. And expectations for his sophomore season were sky high. I, I know I had really high expectations for him going into this season. Um, kind of having that sophomore breakout, continuing his development, However, we just haven't really seen that from him, um, which has been really disappointing from my point of view. Um, His points per game is down a little bit from last season. Um, Not too, too much, but he is scoring uh, right around 14 points. He averaged a little over 15 last season. Uh, Turnovers are up, and uh, his defensive stats are a little bit down, but really the main thing... He's just not shooting as well, um, especially on twos. He's down to 44% overall this season. Uh, Last year, he was up at 49%. And it's very interesting. uh, He is shooting a a couple more threes a game at around the same clip that he was last season. I mean, 32%. It's like he needs to improve that for sure. But like, he's fifth on his own team in scoring in points per game. Like, 
This is a guy who a lot of people were thinking, including me, going into the season, he was going to take that next step. He was potentially going to be like a 20 points per game kind of guy, maybe a triple-double threat on any given night. Um, and his assists are up a little bit, but like I said, so are his turnovers. And he hasn't been playing nearly as aggressively as I wanted him to play. Um, I will say, he's still only 21 years old. <laughs> Uh, he's, he's still got a lot of room to grow and to learn. Um, and you know, the Raptors are a very interesting team, a very intriguing team. They do have some standout performers this year. Um, Siakam comes to mind. He's had a really, really good season so far. Um, OG Ananobi, I think is leading the league in steals right now. Um, he's been very, very good. And Scotty Barnes has kind of just taken a backseat to some of those guys. Even like, like Van Vliet has been probably playing a little bit better than him. So it's it's kind of sad um, because I was really looking forward to uh, seeing what Scotty Barnes could do this season. And it's still early in the year, but early signs are that he's not going to take that next step that uh, I, along with a lot of other people, I think were protecting him too. Yeah, uh, the sophomore slump of Scotty Barnes is not something I was necessarily expecting either. Um, Raptors, like by and large, are kind of struggling. Uh, they're a game under f- five hundred. Um, OG Ananobi, yes, is having a great season. Uh, Gary Trent uh, is playing well. They're just a, a decent amount of forwards on that team. I mean, both the three and the four. I mean, there's also like Chris Boucher, uh, Pres- Precious Achua. They're both like having good seasons uh, on an individual level even though like all of that together isn't necessarily leading to great team success. I guess the good thing, the silver lining here, and we'll be able to say this one way or the other, I guess, for all of these, is that we are only, you know, 30% or so into the season. So like, this isn't like written in stone for the entire year. There's time to turn this around. Uh, And, Good coach there, like good coaching staff all around there. I I know we both want him want Scotty Barnes to do better. So yeah, I guess here's hoping that he can turn this around. Goodness. Yeah, and, and I think the Raptors really their success is gonna be predicated on him taking that next step because Siakam has been standing on his head this season, um, and has been so so good. Uh which is something also that I wasn't necessarily anticipating, but he's been amazing. Really, what the Raptors are struggling with is their record away from home. They're three and eleven when playing in the United States. Like that's, <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, they're ten and three at home, three and eleven on the road. Like I don't think any other team has that severe of splits this far into the season, and they've got to be able to sort that out. Uh, so, I mean, of course, the Raptors have a great home court advantage and everything, but still, you can't go three and eleven away from home to start the season. That's that they're kind of lucky that they're still in the like if the playoffs started today they'd still be in the play in tournament. So uh yeah, I think the Raptors definitely need to see an improved version of Scotty Barnes. I think he has it in him. He just needs to, to step it up and um I think just be more aggressive, honestly, uh, with his looks and um trust his talent. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um now, my number three surprise is about a team that's also a game below 500. Uh, that's the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, they are not a game below 500 due to some weird split. In fact, literally they're 7-7 seven and seven at home, 6-7 and seven on the road. So, like, you know... By the time this episode gets released, who knows? Maybe they'll be 500. Who knows? Anyway, not the point. I I made this number th- my number three because I think it's big enough to talk about, and this will surprise some. And it's not the most shocking thing in the world to me, but I know we're like very much on the fence about this uh, when we did our NBA preseason tier list, which was episode 39 if you want to go back and listen. The Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns pairing so far isn't 
really working. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a disaster yet. However, like keep in mind, they traded like four first round picks and five players or something for him. So in terms of like a return on investment, it's not working at all. Um, one of those guys was Jared Vanderbilt, who's been having a good season out there in Utah. But <clears throat> Malik Beasley as well. Yeah. He he's basically morphed into Jordan Clarkson, and Jordan Clarkson has like randomly become more of a distributor now. And now Malik Beasley is just like, yep, I'm just gonna come into the game and shoot every time. And it's almost always gonna be a three. So that's been interesting to see too. Yeah, definitely. Uh here's basically what's happening in Minnesota in as much of a nutshell as I can produce because you already know we can be long-winded um Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns don't work that well together it, what's more is that the uh, the players around them aren't used to playing with a guy like Gobert last season Timberwolves go back and watch some uh, footage of the Timberwolves last season. I did. It was a lot of drive and kick. Guess what you can't really do when you have Gobert on the floor? Drive and kick. Drive and kick works when there's not a big waiting for you at the rim. And guess where the uh, Rudy Gobert's defender is every time? At the rim. It's just not working. Last year, the Timberwolves were top 10-ish. I think, actually, I think they were like 11 in uh, three-pointers made. No, no, no. I'm sorry. They were top 10 uh, in three-pointers made. This year, they're like middle of the pack, and they're shooting them less efficiently because the looks they're getting aren't as open because of what I just described. Um, their hope in getting Gobert was that they would make that was that he would make the Timberwolves better defensively. They've actually technically gone down by about four places um, from about fifth or from about 11 to 15 in opponent scoring and overall defensive efficiency now is that because gobert is having a worse season not entirely though technically he is um what's there is the floor spacing element basically what's happening is like they're not outscoring teams they're not scoring as efficiently so like the plus minus isn't the same additionally their team defense isn't working as well though what's really weird is like it's almost like the Timberwolves are two different teams. There's the version of them that exists when Carl Anthony Towns is on the court because they're really not sharing the court that much. That version of the team is letting in a lot of points and scoring a lot of points. Then the version where Gobert is on the court and Towns isn't is not letting in a lot of points and they're not scoring many. And you'd think like like they thought that they were getting the best of both worlds by putting them together, and that's just not what's happened. The team is looking less efficient, less confident. There's not a lot of like continuity in their style, offensively or defensively, uh, because it's a lot to adjust to. And I don't... I was talking up the coaching staff in Toronto. I don't trust it in Minnesota to piece all of this together uh that effectively especially like with the group of players around them it just doesn't look like something that's gonna work and even at the time like when we first reacted to this trade i told like i was talking about having concerns especially like i didn't really express concerns about regular season but i said it wouldn't work in the playoffs and now it's not even really working in the regular season like this team is not winning yeah when you give up the, that amount of assets, it's presumably for a player that is going to take you to that next level. And Gobert, as good as he is, has never really seemed like that kind of player to me. Where he takes your team, maybe he takes your team to another level defensively if you have the right pieces around him like they did in Utah. But where they basically created the whole scheme, defensive scheme around him. Uh, I just don't see Gobert as the type of guy who's like, yep, now we're going to win the championship. Like, that's just not the kind of player that he is. And that's fine. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't have to be that. But when you pay that amount of assets 
and and players and everything that they did. That's how they viewed Gobert, and that just hasn't worked. My big thing is you have Anthony Edwards on your roster, who has the highest ceiling of any player on that roster. Gobert, Towns, D'Angelo Russell included in that. Um, and honestly, like we had a hot seat type of moment earlier in the season where Anthony Edwards or um, Towns called out uh, Anthony Edwards for like eating too much Popeyes or whatever. And then Anthony Edwards came back and said like, uh, I'm, I'm much better when I'm in like, if I'm playing in like small lineups. So like, yeah, <laughs> with Towns and Gobert in there, like it doesn't let, doesn't give me the space that I need to attack the rim and everything, um, which is definitely true. And it's, you know, harkens back to what you were talking about as well with Gobert clogging up the middle. Um, and interestingly enough, because Towns has been injured for the past like week or couple weeks or so, um, Anthony Edwards has really increased his levels of production. Interestingly, also, somehow it's um, translated into more defensive production as well. He's averaged like multiple, he's had multiple steals in his last like seven games, including a couple games with like six steals. He's going crazy. Um, and it almost seems like he's like, yeah, look what can happen when the team is more built to suit what I'm good at um, rather than just trying to shoehorn me in with these other guys with, the, with these, you know, big men. So I think that the Timberwolves, like to a man, they should be way higher in the standings than they are. Um, but when you combine those things, like you said, it just doesn't really seem like it's clicked. And to be honest with those skill sets that each of them has, like it's going to be difficult, I think for them to really get going. They still have time in the season, but towns being out for a while and the Timberwolves just kind of hovering around that 500 mark. That's not really going to get them where they want to be, especially when you have other teams in the Western conference that are potentially looking like they are making that next step um, who haven't traditionally been playoff powers uh, recently. So it's going to be very interesting to watch, um, but I think that's a that's a good one. It's coming to number three. Yeah, I mean, looking at the West, like, okay, when we go back to how Utah looked the entire time that Gobert was there, like, they built up such a cushion in the regular season. Like, they were at the top of the West, like, the past several years. The hope, I think, in Minnesota was that they would build up a similar cushion and that really starts at the beginning of the season, even when you bring in a new guy. But they're in eleventh place in the West again, and that's a conference full of teams that are like piecing it together early. Got uh, teams that could pick up steam. I mean, the Lakers are right behind them. You got the Warriors that are still like at nine. You know they're going to turn it around. Uh, can the Clippers stay healthy? They're going to continue to cement a lead. The Timberwolves. In order to have a successful season, it's not about like, oh, well, we're higher than the Thunder and the Spurs and the and the Rockets. Like, you need to be sitting at five right now, not eleven. Like, I, you can take it to the bank right this second. They're not going to win this season, and they're they should absolutely be like, what were we thinking making this trade? And and like the big point that uh that you made was like, it's not about go bear the player being bad it's about the price he paid for him like that's what trades always come down to and he was not worth this price tag so with that being said uh why don't you take us into your number two for the season all right number two it shouldn't be too much of a surprise to anyone who has been following the nba at least semi-closely this season. It's it's SGA, Shea Gilgis-Alexander of the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I've got to say it. I have I had not been high on this guy his entire career. I thought when he was the, the major return that the Thunder got in the Paul George trade, I was like, really? And when they gave him that max contract, I was like, they only did that because that's who they got back for Paul George. Like he's fine, but he's not worthy of a max contract. Well, consider this to be eating my own words and saying like, nope, actually I was wrong. Um, Shea Gilgis Alexander has been an absolute animal 
so far this season. Unbelievable so far. I mean, he's second in points per game in the league at 32. Like, (laughs) give me one person who predicted that before the season started. Not only that, but he's fifth in steals per game at 1.8. And he's 22nd in assists as well, averaging right under six assists. Um, Overall, he's averaging... Uh, 31 points, 6 assists, 4.5 rebounds, 1.8 steals, and a block per game. Like, that's those are MVP-level type numbers. And yes, you can say, well, he's getting these numbers while playing for the Thunder. The Thunder are not trying to compete this season. Maybe those are just empty calories. To a certain degree, you could say, yes, that is potentially true. However... He's still been very clutch for them. And honestly, across the board, he has really, really improved. And really the main area that he's improved is his free throw shooting and his aggression in getting to the line and getting his own shot. Um, Because honestly, when you look at his three-point percentage and how many threes he's taking, it's his worst shooting season um, of his career. Uh, Now, last season... He did technically shoot a little bit under. He shot 30% on threes, taking about five threes a game. This season, he's only taking three three three-pointers a game, making 32% of them. But his free throw percentage has increased significantly. He was hovering, I mean, almost exactly around 80 to 81% uh, percent for his first four seasons. This year, 93.3%. And he's, he's making 9.4 out of 10.1 free throw attempts a game. This guy has been uh, diligent in getting himself to the line, um, attacking the rim. And overall, he's shooting over 50% on the season. Um, and really, it is that that area of his game that he's been able to tap into and kind of fo- morph into that superstar and the the main guy, go-to guy for the Thunder that they obviously believe that he could be. And the rest of his stats are like pretty standard for his career. I mean, rebounds, assists, etc. Like it's all pretty similar. But he's just taken that next step in um, in his scoring, and then also amping it up a little bit more on the defensive end as well, which is always something that he's uh, thrived with, especially with being a bigger guard with his wingspan and his, and his instincts. So overall. He's just had an amazing start to the season, and I'm very intrigued to see, can he keep this up, and will the Thunder let him keep this up? Because you best believe that that they are very intrigued by Victor Wimbanyama, and you best believe that they are not really trying to win too, too many games a season, and if Shea Gilchis Alexander continues to perform like this, who knows? how many games they could potentially win. I mean, right now, it's not like they're uh, setting the world on fire or anything. Like you said, they're towards the bottom of the Western Conference, sitting at 11 and 16. But that's definitely better than most people would have had him at this point. So you got to give him credit. And the last thing that I'll say about uh, SGA is when we did our top 25 players to, um, to start the season earlier, which was a few episodes ago, we didn't even have him as an honorable mention in our top 25. He did not make our top 25. And then there were like around 10 other players or so that were just outside of it. We didn't even include him in the honorable mentions. Not only that, I don't even think we mentioned him when we were discussing players going back and forth. Like we just didn't even really talk about him. And yet here he is setting the league on fire and being one of the biggest stories in the NBA this season. So hats off to him. um, And I I will eat my words on that one. And I wish him the the best. It's, it's been really fun and exciting to watch. Yeah. We did not talk about him even like when we were discussing off air, like we're, we went through every team and we got to the thunder. We were just like, anyone on the thunder? Nope. All right, moving on. Like that was basically the extent of it. Now, that top 25 list that you mentioned, like that's one that we're going to update in at some point in the near future. We'll have an episode where we go back to it. Uh, we'll update it. We'll say, okay, well, you know, based on what we've been seeing and blah, blah, blah. Right. Here's the new one. Well, Shea Gilchrist Alexander, 
will at some level be mentioned. Obviously, he's been balling. He's an MVP candidate. Now, yeah, if you're sitting there thinking like, okay, well, yeah, he's on the Thunder. Chet Holmgren uh, got injured before the season. Somebody has to score all these points, right? Well, if that were if it were that simple, then this would happen every year on every trash team, right? That's just not the case. Also, on our preseason NBA tier list, we have the Thunder at uh, 28. Uh, and they're only five games below 500. So they are, first of all, on track to be higher than 28th on our uh, post, our, on our tier list at the end of the season, or when we go back and talk about all that. Um, when we review it. That's what I was going for. But also... Yeah, like you mentioned, he's uh, single-handedly ruining their chances at getting Victor Wembanyama, which, which is, is funny. Which is why I'm like, I really hope that they that he doesn't have like a shin splint or like a sore hip or something that just lands him on the on IR for like the last two months of the season or something, and then they give more random players that we've never heard of 40 minutes a game uh, like they like they did last season. I was just about to say, yeah, last year they were doing that with uh play, yeah, guys you'd never Who's this? I don't know, but I'm going to start him in fantasy because apparently he's going to start for the Thunder now. Uh, and play but, for, yeah, play 40 minutes. Was it Jalen Horde? I think was the yes. guy I was thinking of who was just averaging random like double-double with like decent defensive stats just because he was playing literally basically the entire game. Uh yeah, good times. The the only other thing I was going to say about Shea Gilgis Alexander was at the beginning of the season, you know, he was going off. He's been doing this from the first game. I was like, this can't last. It's lasted. Uh, he has scored 30 plus in 18 out of their 25 games. Like, that's, it's not even like, oh yeah, there's some 18 point games here and then 40 point games here and it averages out. No, it pretty much... Like, you go into a game, he is literally more likely than not going to score 30-plus. Crazy. Uh, so good on him. For sure. Yeah, so that was my number two. Uh, Mike, What what is yours? We've been talking about teams that have been struggling. Let's talk about a team that has not been struggling, really. The New Orleans Pelicans. What a thing to say. Uh Zion, Zion has only missed five games. Shocking. Okay, this this already qualifies as a surprise. I could just stop here. Boom, done. But I'm not going to. Who do you think this is? He's playing 33 minutes a game. Again, shocking. Uh, and he's balling, first of all. Or I guess that's third of all. CJ McCollum. Uh, is averaging a career high in assists, basically, at like six assists a game. Um, Pelicans are like 18 and eight, I think, right now. Uh, Number one in the West. And the last, well, two more names. Trey Murphy is like the ideal role player, but like could turn into a star? Question mark? Like, if you're interested and I'm assuming you are because you're listening to this podcast, look up Trey Murphy's shot chart from this season. It's like a coach's dream. It's like, I'm going to shoot a three, or I'm going to take it to the hole. (laughs) There's like no mid-ranges on it. And he's shooting extremely efficiently. Uh, They're starting to design more plays with him in mind instead of just making him like a byproduct of being on that team. Uh, A lot of like backdoor cuts, a lot of floppy action screens. And he's making the most of it. Additionally, his defense is good. He's getting better just from last year to this year. He's getting better as a playmaker. He's getting better at driving and attacking the basket, attacking one-on-one matchups. Like, for for what they drafted him, he's, like, already exceeding that. We talked about Scotty Barnes in his second season not taking a step forward, and now we're talking about Trey Murphy taking a big step forward. And the last name that I want to mention Willie Green, 
coach of the year candidate. Like this man is drawing up the plays. He's got his team fired up. Uh, a team that, I mean, we had the Pelicans, I want to say around middle of the pack. I want to say like 16th or something on our cheer list uh, before the season started. And now they're at number one now or in the West, at least now, is that guaranteed to last? No, you know, and I kind of doubt it will. Uh, I don't know where, like where their record will lie at the end of the season, but it's worth noting at this point that they're balling. Zion is playing and Willie green is coaching his behind off and deserves the recognition for it. 100%. Yeah. We had to mention the Pelicans, uh, if we were talking about early season surprises, I mean, who had them being number one in the Western conference at this point of the season, I definitely was fairly high on the Pelicans going into the season, especially with Zion actually looking healthy and all the reports coming out. Well, I mean, we've seen that, that tale before, but so far he's shown that he's been able to play most of the games. Um, Also, we had the Pelicans 15th uh, in our tier list. So we had them at the bottom of the hopefuls. So still with a chance, but not super likely. We probably underestimated them a little bit. We weren't sure if it would all come together like it has so far. So again, that's a big shout out to Willie Green and that coaching staff. Um, I also want to mention they're just a really deep roster. Like they've done a really good job with drafting and with bringing in different guys. I mean, a guy like Larry Nance being like coming off the bench and being a good like backup option, like that's a really really solid player to have coming up coming off the bench. I mean, Jose Alvarado literally went off like 30 something points the other night um, and has had a, a very good season continues to defy expectations. Um, and if you think about it, like Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, like the Pelicans are on a seven game win streak right now. Ingram hasn't played any of those games and Herb Jones has been missed like the last five games and they've still been able to come out and, and get these dubs, including back-to-back wins over the Suns, which are a very good team. So I think as currently constructed, like the Pelicans are for real. Number one in the West, that might be a little bit of a stretch come the end of the season, but I think we have to look at this team as a bona fide um, playoff lock at this point, and potentially more than just that like eighth seed upstart that maybe will will knock a team off here or there. Like They might be here to stay, especially if Zion can keep up his hot um, scoring streak and um, the rest of their, their players can keep developing and getting better. Like Dyson Daniels is another guy who I haven't mentioned yet, who has a ton of potential and is already uh, proving to be a, a solid rotation piece for him. So yeah, definitely shout out to the Pelicans, um, 18 and eight, like you said, very, very good. Um, and also they have the best point differential in the Western conference too. So it's not like they're just squeaking out these victories, um, with like by one or two points they're the best in the Western conference. So, and actually now that I'm looking at it, they have the best point differential in the entire league. They're point one ahead of the Celtics. So by point differential, they've been the best team in the league this season. So yeah, definitely um, surprising that the Pelicans have, have dominated the way that they have so far this season. And also shout out Jonas Valanciunas. Uh, He's been consistent for that. Well, he's been consistent for the last like eight years. Let's be honest, but uh, he's been a model of consistency for that team down at the center position, and he's pairing really well with CJ McCollum. Uh, in it, this unexpected pick and roll duo uh, that I'm appreciating. Uh, not not your standard pick and roll where it's usually one of the two members scoring, but they're setting up pick and rolls that end up. Uh, creating a bunch of this off-ball action, or that sorry, that help facilitate this off-ball action, and it starts with him, honestly, um, as opposed to the primary ball handler. Like, so he deserves a lot of credit as well. One hundred percent. And while we're talking about uh, pick and roll duos, my number one team, or my number one in this list is another Western Conference team 
It's the Sacramento Kings. For a very, very long time, pretty much as long as I've followed basketball, the Kings have been a joke. The Kings have not made the playoffs. They've never even really been close. They were either like DeMarcus Cousins was putting up big numbers and also major temper tantrums or like Vlade was making terrible decisions on, you know, roster or uh, draft picks. Like it's just been a bad situation over there. However, it seems to be actually turning around for them this season. And I know that there were quite a few people who were questioning that Tyrese Halliburton trade, myself included, um, because I really, really like Halliburton in general, and I really like his game and his potential. And he's been balling for the Pacers this season. That wasn't a surprise to me. But the fact that the Kings went out and got DeMonta Sabonis, the impact that that man has made on that team cannot be understated. Um, I've been very, very impressed. Um, Sabonis, particularly, averaging, I mean, he's basically like a diet Jokic. 17 points a game, 11 and a half rebounds, six and a half assists. He's been very, very good for him. And along with De'Aaron Fox, who's having another solid season, probably a little bit better than he's had before. 23 points, five boards, five and a half assists, one steal per game. But really, it's some of these other backup players too that have really improved, which typically when a player goes to the Kings, that's not the first thing you think of. Like, let's just take Marvin Bagley as an example. He was a guy who got drafted second overall, a lot of potential, and he just kind of flamed out. And now he plays for the Pistons sometimes. Like, the Kings have never really been been known as a player developmental franchise. But Kevin Herter, after moving from the Hawks, has had his best season so far, um, better than any of the seasons he's had in Atlanta. I've been really impressed with him. Um, I think that he's doing really well with the opportunity that he's been given. Um, I mean, he's his three-point percentage is higher. His assists are higher. Um, obviously, like minutes per game, everything. It's just up a tick. Malik Monk is actually passing the ball now. New, like, like major, like, news alert. Uh, in case you weren't aware before, Malik Monk was, like, that guy who literally, if he caught the ball, it was only to shoot or um, pass it to someone who would never be in, in a situation where they could actually score the basketball. Um, but he's actually averaging almost four assists a game this season from shooting guard off the bench. Like, we've seen a whole different side of Malik Monk that we have not seen since he entered the league. And, I mean, 14 and a half points, four assists a game off the bench. Like, he's low-key been balling as well. So shout out to the Kings for getting the most out of him when... Uh, no other team or coach has been able to do that so far. And all of this is without Keegan Murray really showing how good he can potentially be like going. I, he dominated summer league. People were saying rookie of the year. Like maybe this guy is the one to watch out for rather than Ben Caro or um, one of these other, or Jaden Ivy or one of these other guys. But I think he still has more to show. I mean, right now he's at 12 points a game, four boards, um, and hasn't really, I mean, he's kind of tailed off from the start of the season too. So if they can get him going, um, then that'll be a huge boost for them. And then you've got old Mr. Reliable Harrison Barnes out there who's providing that veteran presence for him, who's averaging his normal like 14 points, five rebounds, some defensive stats. Um, so overall, like the Kings, they've been really surprising to me with the fact that right now they're sitting at 14 and 12 and they just lost tonight. Um, but they're sitting at seventh in the West. And I don't think it's been a fluke. They've got a positive point differential. And the biggest thing of all, I, I know I mentioned a bunch of things already. The biggest thing of all, is that for however long, the Kings have been absolutely putrid defensively. It's basically been like, 
whatever team is playing them, it's like a guaranteed 120 being put up every night. However, after starting the season 0-4, the Kings are 10th overall in team defense. And it's not like they have a bunch of star defensive players. Like, all the guys that I mentioned, Fox, Herter, Sabonis, Malik Monk, Harrison Barnes, like, none of these guys are, like, known for their defense first. But they've been playing really, really good, solid team defense. And the defensive effort has been there. They're, like, really trying and working together and for each other. And that can't be understated when it comes to being effective. I mean, one thing that I always look at when comparing college basketball to the NBA is the level of effort that college basketball players put in on the defensive end because it is required by their coaches to do so. The NBA, it's optional at times. But for the Kings, it looks like it's not an option. It looks like they are going out there, working their butts off to make sure that if the other team is going to score, they're going to have to work for it. And over the course of a game and over the course of a season, that makes a big difference. So shout out to them. Um, And, you know, you've got to really credit Mike Brown as well, uh, the head coach there of pulling that team together and kind of rallying them to make that effort and to kind of get over that hump again it's still early but there's a reason why this is called our early season surprises and so far the kings have been the the guys that have surprised me the most i was just about to say like i was talking about willie green but mike brown in his first season coaching the the kings like he's doing a fantastic job so far of how our state like you can tell what our expectations are for the kings when we're like 14 and 12 fantastic Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Light the beam. Uh, like, I can't believe, I couldn't believe they started the season with that, like, uh, oh, what do you want to call it? That that idea where they were going to light the beam after every win, and all the top comments on it were like, oh yeah, they're going to light it like five times or something. <laughs> like, oh, they're about to save a lot of money on power. You know, well, they have a winning record, so... They're on to something. Uh, yeah, everyone has been stepping up for the Kings um, at long last. Bless it. Uh, I I just have one request, and it's for Kevin Herter. Um, yeah, I think it was last week. I was looking at, like, league leaders in three-point percentage. And I was like, oh, look, there's Kevin. He's in the top ten. I think he's, like, just out of it now. Um, he's also top 10 in three-pointers made uh, per game. Uh, he was, at the time, he was shooting basically 48% from the field, um, about 43% from three. So I'm like, oh, 50, 40, 90? Is he going to do it? And then I saw his free throw percentage, which is sub 70? I think, what is it, like 64% or something? <laughs> 68, 68. Uh, as of today uh-huh. oh my gosh kevin shoot kevin. free throw is better like this isn't my first free throw rant on this podcast and i'm not even usually the type it's like oh it's free points but like 68 percent especially when he's uh, having a career best season from three doesn't make I'm, a whole lot of sense yeah Get out of your head, dude. Yeah. Uh, like, at this point, the ship has sailed. You're not going to get 50, 40, 90 when you start off like this. It's not happening. But, like, still, fix it. So, when you said, I have one request for Kevin Herter, I was like, is he going to say, legally change your name to Kayvon? <laughs> Shout out to the Hawks who used to call him that. Um, maybe he probably doesn't go by that anymore. The Kings probably don't do not do that. But, anyways, um yeah, for sure. Kings have been, uh, shall I say, royally underestimated going into the season. And I look where they are. Um, so we'll see if they can topple the crown. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to stop with these references now. Um, Mike, who's at your number one? Oh, man, this one was easy. Uh, I, I will say, I'm not going to talk much about this. But it had to be number one. I'll tell you why. How many times on this podcast have we commented 
joked, whatever, about Anthony Davis being day-to-day, on the daily, all the time. Who knows if he's going to play, blah, 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 blah. In fact, we mentioned that on the preseason tier list. We're like, oh, we're going to put the Lakers low. Oh, if they're healthy, blah, blah, blah. Anthony Davis isn't going to play if, uh, even close to a full season. Dude's missed three games? What? Um, like, in addition to the fact that he's only missed three games, he's having the best season he's had since, like, what, 2018, uh, when he was a Pelican. So, cool. He's leading the league in rebounds. Awesome. Uh, he's scoring, like, 28 a game. Again, awesome. But, like, I'm not shocked that Anthony Davis is good. I'm shocked that he's playing. <laughs> I, I know he's good when he plays. Oh, oh, also, we talked about him uh, and his health, or, you know, frequent lack thereof, when we did the uh, top 25 players in the NBA right now, and we said, well, we'd put Anthony Davis higher if he were, you know, playing regularly. Well, there's another one we'll have to adapt, because Anthony Davis, breaking news, is playing basketball with regularity. Yeah, we had him at 20 in that list. I think he's got to be higher. I mean, we had Bradley Beal above him, like... That is definitely not accurate now. So not only that, but Anthony Davis, like he's doing all this while playing center, which in case you don't know, Anthony Davis doesn't think he's a center. He thinks he's a power forward, even though he's definitely a center. And yet somehow the Lakers coaching staff and maybe LeBron have told him AD like, Come on, man. You just you just gotta play center. Just just give it a try. We promise you'll like it. We promise that you'll do well. And he goes out there and has consistently been the best player on the the floor for the for the Lakers every single night. So not only the fact that Anthony Davis is playing almost every game, but he's playing almost every game at center um is is probably the the biggest early season surprise of the NBA this this year. So I think that's going to wrap up our main segment. And when we come back, we're going to get into the hot seat and the fun fact as always. So make sure to stick around for that. All right. And we're back and it's time to get into the hot seat. This time we have two additions, but they're connected in a fun little way. We're going to be talking about autographs. So Dave, give us the first addition to the hot seat for this episode. Yeah, for sure. So, First guy to get put on the hot seat is Kawhi Leonard. Um, Kawhi is definitely known as not necessarily the most personable guy in the world. And he exhibited this after a game um, a day or two ago. Um, You know, he leads the Clippers to a win. He's getting interviewed after the game. He turns away and there is the Clippers mascot waiting there with a, a basketball and a Sharpie, like, just standing there waiting for Kawhi's autograph. And it's almost like Kawhi doesn't even notice that it's the mascot holding up the pin. So he, like, grabs the pin and then, like, looks at the mascot. And then, with, like, no expression on his face, just, like, takes his hand off the pin and just walks away. (laughs) And, like, it was, it's just, it's a really funny video. You should definitely watch it if you haven't. Um, But it was just, like, a, yep, typical Kawhi. It's just, like, um... It's, it's that's just quintessential him. He's just like, nope, never mind. I don't have time for this. This is stupid. Um, also, like, I don't understand what the Clippers mascot even is. So it just him, just it standing there is just funny in and of itself. So, and I, Mike, I don't know if you know exactly what this Clipper is supposed to be or not, but uh, I, I don't really understand it. I, I don't know, man. I think it's some weird pink bird thing. Like, I don't under, yeah. I don't know. That, Who knows? Wh- I mean, wears roller skates and rolls around the rink. Like I don't. I, yeah. Well, according to Google, you know, you know, which is reliable uh, source. Yeah, you know, scholarly. It's Chuck the Condor. Um, I that's about all I. Oh, and he and he wears Chuck Taylors. Hey. Oh, okay. that makes sense. 
Yeah. Now, if anyone else wants to do some like Chuck the Condor research, then be my guest. But that's all the Google searching I feel like doing at this particular moment in time. But he's a condor, in case any of our listeners were also wondering. Uh, NBA mascots are weird, man. Just look at the matching. <laughs> Honestly. Stupid little dinosaur. Whatever. Um, my autograph moment. Uh, 49ers played the Bucks on Sunday night. Beat them 35-7. to Tom Brady. Bad. Um, you know, unrelated to this story, uh, I'm just going to share the statistic that I shared with you earlier. Um, Tom Brady is on my fantasy team. Yeah, I know. It sucks. Uh, and Tom Brady, in the 14 games that he's played this season, has gotten fewer than his projected fantasy points in 13 out of those 14 games. Come on. <laughs> Stupid. Whatever. That's goat behavior. <laughs> Come on. I'm pan- I had to say it. It's it's lamb behavior. Uh, anyway, freaking in that game, he threw an interception in the third quarter to 49ers linebacker Dre Greenlaw, who, after the game, had the audacity to run that ball all the way up to Tom Brady and get him to autograph his own interception ball, which is something else. Uh which Tom Brady did sign, unlike Kawhi Leonard with the with Chuck the Condor, uh, which was nice of him. Um, I get it, but it is kind of savage. Like, hey, I picked you off. You're having a bad season. Sign this football. Apparently, he buttered him up beforehand. Was like, hey man, you're the greatest ever. It's an honor to even like get to play against you. Um, also, could you sign this ball that I intercepted <laughs> real quick? Um, and so you know. Brady typically has been known as like not a good sport when he loses, but maybe old age is finally like softening him up a bit, um, which would potentially explain his his poor performance, (laughs) but also why he's actually, you know, autographing this guy's football. So, you know, shout out to Tom Brady. I mean, he's still on the hot seat, but I guess Dre Greenlaw is also on the hot seat. Just the whole thing is hot seat related, but shout out to him anyway for doing it for that guy yeah uh we appreciate the good sport tom brady although i wish you know be a little more harsh a little more productive given that he's on my fantasy team whatever there's three weeks left and i will still allow him to make it up to me um however despite his lack of production i know one area where i don't have a problem with lack of production and that's with dave's fun fact so what's it gonna be this episode i'm a fun fact factory the fun factory you heard it here first all right mike just took his headphones off um i thought that was a good one but whatever bro um i'm gonna keep powering on so uh there i was halloween weekend standing on the beach, looking out um, into the distance. And something occurred to me that I had never thought of before. That little, like, line where the ocean meets the sky, like, how far away actually is that? Because, you know, it looks like it's forever away. But I'm like, I don't know. Is that, like, a 100 miles away? Is it, like, one mile away? I wasn't sure. So I looked it up. It's approximately 3.1 miles away. So that's my fun fact of the episode. Uh, if you're ever just standing there and looking out like I was appreciating the beauty of nature, um, the human eye can see approximately 3.1 miles away um, on a flat surface. So that's what I was looking at. And that's Wait, my fun a, fact. A flat surface. Are you, are you telling us the earth is flat? Here? Um, Spoiler alert, no, I'm not. <laughs> okay, I didn't want didn't want anyone to get freaked out all of a sudden. No, I just meant like, you know, you can see further away if you're like standing on a mountain versus the beach. 
Gotcha. Or even if you're like six two versus five foot, you can technically see a little bit farther if you're <laughs> six two. So my mom can't see quite as far as you. So for what that's worth. Well, now I just feel super special. That is fun to know, though. Three point one miles ish. Yeah. Cool. I haven't been to a beach recently, but next if if I should ever go, I'll probably keep that in mind. Yeah, and you know, not every fun fact has to be super complicated and require a whole bunch of conversation afterwards. Sometimes it's just nice and simple. So, Uh, yeah, I mean. That's, yeah, I, that's actually kind of what I appreciate with a lot of the fun facts that you do. Like, I, I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. I was like, huh, he makes the fun facts way more interesting than I would have if it were my segment. Like, it'd be like, oh, Mike, what's your fun fact of the episode? And I'd be like, kangaroos can't hop backwards. The end. <laughs> 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 Just, okay. Yeah. I, like, I'd be more of like a Snapple. You know, yeah. Um, the fun factory is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And on that note, let's probably just go ahead and end the podcast. The guy who hates chocolate. Yeah, that's uh, that's (laughs) the only way that it's like a box of chocolates. And also, Forrest Gump is potentially my favorite movie of all time. And Tom Hanks is my favorite actor of all time. And an additional fun fact for you all. Um, But yeah, that is going to wrap it up for this episode. We appreciate y'all listening as always. Um, If you have not already, make sure to subscribe to us on whatever platform you're listening to us on. We're on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. So make sure to subscribe to us on there. Leave us a rating or a view if you're feeling frisky. Uh, We appreciate it. And um, as always, make sure to um, catch us on the next episode, which will be in a couple weeks, um, we will be breaking down the college football playoff semifinals, um, which will be on New Year's Eve. So the next podcast will come out like a couple days before that. So we are very excited for that one. Um, and yeah, that's about it for me. Yeah, the next episode will be the last episode of 2022. And in addition to previewing the college football playoffs, it's episode 45. So we'll have a top five, and if you've been listening recently, I'm sure you have a guess on what it is. So fun for those of you who know, but we'll leave that as a surprise for everyone that's not putting that one together already. But there will be top five, and there will be college football playoffs. So definitely want to catch that. But until then, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. Alexander on the beat.